0: Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant, and yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. That's my favorite Christmas song. How about you guys? Huh? Amen? What you laughing about? Amen? That's what we celebrate. He's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. You hate to stop that, don't you? Uh, Hey, it feels good to praise the one who's worthy of our praise, doesn't it? And isn't it great to see our praise team and how God allows Ryan to uh, be led of the Spirit to bring children up sometimes, youth? Uh, what, didn't they, didn't they just, isn't it great to see youth up here leading in a time of praise, man? I'm so thankful. Uh, for those who are, are willing to take their gifts and say, here they are, Lord, use me. And uh, now I hope you understand something about that. Uh, they're not here to perform for you. What they are here is to begin leading out in a time of praise so that we are encouraged to join in with them, right? Uh, we're not uh, at a concert, but we're here to lift our praises with theirs unto the king, okay? So uh, make sure we keep that in its right place. If you have your Bible, go ahead and make your way today in the gospel according to Luke to chapter number three some of y'all like oh that's today's reading uh absolutely it is and that's where our our message is going to be from today some of you may not know what i'm talking about and so let me bring you up to date okay uh what i challenge us to do each year in the in the month of december is to read one chapter of luke per uh, day through christmas eve and by the time we get to christmas eve we've covered all 24 chapters And by that time, listen, we have covered the life and the times of Jesus, and by the time Christmas comes, we remember what it is that we're celebrating, right? Not just a baby in a manger, but the Son of God come as man who lived a life, a perfect life, a life of teaching truth, right? And full of truth and grace, and went all the way to the cross and died. And the cross wasn't, listen, the cross and the manger meant nothing without the resurrection, the empty tomb. And so all of that fits together together. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter number three. One of our favorite Christmas words we're going to look at today. You ready? It is the word repentance. I love that right there. Now that's probably not on your stockings that are hung with joy, right? Huh? You probably don't have that as a, on a banner going across your Christmas tree. Repentance, right? But at the same point, at the same time, I want to say to you that it's one of the most important words of Christmas. Not just that, it's the, one of the most important words of eternity. And so I'm thankful that you're here. It's awesome to see the house of God full uh, this time of year and, every, and all the time as God continues to draw and do. I want us to uh, think about this uh, scenario and I want to ask a question and kind of tell a little story. Have you ever uh, done something that required steps and in the process of the steps, maybe it's baking baking, maybe it's driving, maybe I don't know what it is, but somewhere along the way, one of the steps was left out. Have you ever done that? Left a step out of something in your life? Okay, there's a few of us in the room, and uh, when you left that step out, there can, sometimes it can be not that big a deal, right? If, uh, uh, but now if you leave some things out of the recipe, sometimes it's not that big a deal. Sometimes it turns into a colossal epic fail, doesn't it? One particular ingredient being gone. Uh, sometimes I have I've, I've found myself doing this before, and and uh, I've I found myself arriving at my destination and uh, sitting there maybe talking a little bit beforehand, and then getting ready to get out and noticing that uh, by Tina's re- response that the vehicle's moving. And so what I re- what I remembered the step I, a very important step I meant, m- missed there was to put it in P, in part. right. And uh, thank God she's, we've always caught that before any bad thing has happened. Okay. And so uh, th- sometimes the steps are a little more critical. Number of years ago, I was in a warehouse and my, the company I was working for, we did asphalt, but we also did concrete and floor sealers and the like. And we were putting down an epoxy floor sealer uh, in a large warehouse. Now, if you've ever dealt with or know anything about epoxy, there's some components that have to be mixed together, okay, and the components that when they're mixed together activate one another. But this was not just the kind you can go buy like at Lowe's, this was the kind you had to order. It was industrial, It's very, very expensive, thousands of dollars. And it had a three-part mix to it. Okay, you had two components that were uh, color and different things, and then you had you had an A and a B, and then you had a component C, and component C was the hardening, is the is the agent that activated the hardening properties of the epoxy. Are y'all tracking with me so far? Give me a little head nod, okay? And so as uh, this three-part mix was getting ready to be set up, it was about five of us that day who were going to be putting out the material. Large warehouse, we get spaced out so far apart, wearing these little spike shoes, carrying these squeegees in our hands that have little grooves cut in them so that you can squeegee and leave the right amount of material one guy was responsible for getting the five gallon buckets putting the three components together and mixing them with a drill okay so he's doing that we're outside as he gets finished because you don't have very long to get it out he tells us hey everything's mixed y'all go so we all walk in we grab our squeegees we pour a little out we squeegee we pour a little out Squeegee. you cover the whole warehouse get to the end and man it looks good shiny like new money y'all know what i'm talking about oh it looked good And what we told the owners was that, hey, wait till tomorrow, this particular kind, you could walk on it the next day. So we said, give it a full 24 hours, and it'll be hard, and you can do whatever you want. It can't be penetrated with uh, oil or gas, and uh, it's resistant to hammers falling on it, so it's going to be wonderful, okay? Well, that next day, we were going about our business, and then the third day, the next uh, two days after, I guess, we get a phone call. And uh, so the 24 hours would have finished like the next day, in the middle of the day. The next afternoon, we get a phone call, and they say, hey, uh, we had one of our employees fail and hurt themselves on the floor. And we began to think, well, maybe they spilled some water on it, or there was some moisture on it. Or, and they said, no, no, what we're, what we're saying is, is that the material is still wet. And uh, if you know anything about that epoxy, 24 hours is supposed to be hard and, and like, like rock. And so they said, still wet, and, and and it's sticky, and oh, man. So we began contacting the manufacturer and talking about the batches, and they re- researched batch A and, and batch B and batch C, the components, and they're checking into all that. And they said, no, everything checks out. Everything was done appropriately. And we're like, well, listen, the thing didn't harden. And so finally we go out into some investigation in person. We find out that our mixer did not put in component C. And uh, you're talking about a major deal. You had to clean that whole warehouse floor with uh, some toxic chemicals to start over. Now, here's the point I'm making. Sometimes steps forgotten are not that big a deal, right? But sometimes steps forgotten or important components forgotten or are, are undealt with are tremendous in their impact, you're right? And I want to introduce to you today that the repentance is critical to salvation. And if repentance hasn't been dealt with in the area of salvation, there is no salvation indeed. So, aren't you glad you came? Right? You're looking at me like, man, I thought I was going to hear about the angels singing on high and the little baby in the manger and, and, and all that. And here we are, Uh are going to deal with repentance. Yes, we are. And we're going to do it because God said so. All right? Now, let me give you some reminders of the gospel according to Luke. Luke, a, a, a physician by occupation, the human author God chose to write it. Uh, you'll notice that he pays close attention to details. You, don't you want your doctor to do that? And so he he is very detail-oriented, and what he's going to do is, remember, he's written this letter to somebody. Anybody remember who he wrote it to? Theophilus. Theophilus. You guys are biblical scholars. You're learning the Bible. And so he wrote it to Theophilus, and Theophilus is someone young, uh, most likely believer, someone probably in Roman authority, and he's writing to him, and the purpose, or what you might hear the occasion of the letter, is to uh, remind by very orderly account Luke is going to remind and show Theophilus everything he heard about Jesus. The life, the times, the teaching, the death, the resurrection were absolutely true. So today, okay, uh, we're going to deal with this issue of repentance. So remember, think about it. Theophilus is getting this letter, and the purpose of him getting it is in this particular section of the letter, is that he's going to learn that anyone who repents and receives Jesus will be saved. Okay? That's what he's going to learn. I just gave you the main idea, by the way. All right, so if you will, stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. Let's begin now in Luke chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 1 down through verse number 17. Y'all still glad to be here? Y'all stood up, look like you're not glad anymore. All right, there you go, a little smile. Hey, can you smile? Some of y'all need to smile one time. You haven't smiled in a while. You need to smile. Practice your smiler one time. Doesn't that feel good? Just smile one time. All right, here we go, beginning in verse number 1. Now, in the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now, this is John the baptizer, not John the disciple. Keep that clear in your mind, okay? All right, verse 3. And they went to all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of, just pray a prayer. Oh, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, verse 4, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord, or the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. Now now imagine greeting your your gathering like this. You ready? Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down, and, y'all help me, drawn into the fire. So the people ask him, saying, What shall we do then? And he and John answered them and said, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, soldiers even asked him, and they said, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered them, saying to all of them, I indeed baptize you with water. But one, help me with this phrase, mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap, John said, I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire." His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. My goodness. A lot in that t- passage, wouldn't you agree? Uh, a lot confused. would you say there's a lot to be confused about in there? Okay, good. I pray when you leave out of here, it'll be crystal clear, okay? So let's ask God to help us with that, all right? Will you bow with me? Father, I do pray for all of us that when we leave out of here, we say, oh, that's what that means. And I pray that now you would help me by your Holy Spirit, God, in in spite of my weaknesses and my frailties, Lord. And God, you know me better than anybody. And so I pray that you prove again today you can use somebody like me. So Father, I pray you help me to preach through the power of your Spirit and the gift of preaching. And Lord, would you do it in such a way that you'd preach not just to these people who are gathered here, not just these people who are in different locations tuned in, but Lord, also to those who will hear it on the podcast later. But Father, even to my own heart, so would you speak from heaven? We're listening. God, may we pull up a seat at the table and be fed by your, by your word. And now may we, like little children, look, lean in and look intently into your face and listen for your voice. Speak to us from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> We're about to have some fun. Are y'all ready? You love talking about repentance, right? Think about how many times you talked about it this week. Huh? You know, in work conversations and on the job site, in the classroom, and with your students and teachers. You know, you use the word repent, repentance, all week long, right? Not so much, and chances are you probably don't use that a lot in your common vernacular or your common conversations, and so let's deal with this issue. The title of the message is Hope for Everyone. Hope for Everyone. Now, remember, uh, going out to John in the wilderness are Pharisees, uh, are Jews, are all kinds of people, and they're coming out to hear this message about repentance and and being forgiven of sin. Okay, keep that in your mind. <clears throat> Let me give you the main idea. I've already given it to you once so I'm going give it to you again. Anyone who repents and receives Jesus shall be saved. Now, I want you to write this. It's a little wordy, but I want you to write it out because it's very detailed and specific, and you'll find it before we get to the end, okay? <clears throat> Anyone, y'all help me, who repents but also receives Jesus shall be saved, all right? Anyone who repents and receives Jesus shall be saved. Isn't that good news? That means there's hope for everyone. That means there's hope for everyone. Okay, what I want to do now is give five different supporting details that point back to that main truth, okay? Anyone who repents and receives Jesus shall be saved. Now, let me say it in the negative. Can I say the negative? You know you can say the same thing, positive or negative, yeah? And so, the positive would be anyone who repents and believes shall be saved, and Jesus receives Jesus shall be saved. The opposite is also true. Anyone who does not repent and does not receive Jesus is lost and shall be lost. Okay? Isn't that good? Look at you. Boy, you're already looking kind of at the carpet, but that's the truth nonetheless. Okay? Now let's rewind back to verse number three, uh, verse number two. And I want to give you these five supporting truths that point back to that man I did. Number one, write this down. Repentance, and we're, listen, this is going to sound like we repeat a whole bunch, but what we're going to do is call expository preaching. What does that mean? We're going to deal with a verse at a time. So here's the deal. If John repeats it, l- let me go a little higher up. If Luke repeats it in his recording, let me go a little higher up. If the Holy Spirit of God repeats it through the author Luke, through John on the day of, then we're going to repeat it. Amen? We're going to look at it from every angle that he gave it because it's important that we do. Number one, write it down. Repentance is necessary to salvation. <clears throat> repentance is necessary to salvation. What I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is this. Without repentance, there is no salvation. I'm afraid that we're living in a day and time and, and when, when a culture says, especially in the South, you ask a person, are you a Christian? They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, tell me about that. Well, I, you know, I, I believe that Jesus, and I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to be Lord. You know, I, I, I believe, and I, and I confess him as Lord. Okay, well, where in that step do you talk about repentance? Well, I, what do you mean? Well, that's when you turn away from who you were, and you turned to him. Anyway, we'll talk about that as we go along. So look at verses 2 and 3. While Annas and Caiaphas, verse 2, were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, my question for you is this. How did the word get to John? I don't answer it out loud. How did John receive this word from God? How did God speak to John? Okay? And the answer is found back in Luke chapter 1. Okay? And the way that God spoke to John, okay, before the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus was by his Holy Spirit. You say, well, now wait a minute. It was after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension that we received the Holy Spirit. So how can John be spoken to by the Holy Spirit? And the answer is found in Luke chapter 1, when the angel said to Zacharias, he will have the Holy Spirit. Anybody know from when? From the womb. The Holy Spirit will be upon him from the womb. In other words, he is that prophet in the New Testament coming in the spirit of Elijah, and he'll have the Holy Spirit from birth. That's, by the way, uh, none of us have Holy Spirit from birth. Well, we have the Holy Spirit from our rebirth, our new birth, our born again time, but he uniquely was given the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. How about that? Now, let's just look a little further into it. So what is it that the Holy Spirit said to him? And and what I'd like to do is just turn, if you would, one chapter back. Turn back to Luke chapter 1 with me, all right? Let's just take a look at it together. Uh, Luke chapter 1. And what I want you to find is verse number 13. And so let's just imagine that you don't have a Greek text you don't have a Greek lexicon. You don't have a way to study the original language. And let's just say that you're reading through Luke and you hear about this word that talks about John's ministry before John is born, okay? Now, we, we find later on that it is a ministry of repentance, okay? But now we can go back and look. What was it that the angel said that will help us understand this word? repent or repentance. Okay. Your eyes there with me, John uh, Luke chapter one, uh, beginning in verse number 13. Are Y'all there? Anybody there? All right. Beginning in verse 13. But the angel said to him, said to who Zacharias, John's daddy, do not be afraid Zacharias for your prayers heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will receive or will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also, here it is. He will also be. Help me, somebody. Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will now pay attention. He's talking about how he's going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what is he going to do? What's his ministry going to be about? Okay. So there's a key word you're going to hear repeated here a couple of times. And he will. Here it is. Circle it and underline it in your Bible. And he will. John will. Help me, somebody turn. He will turn. So the picture here is of somebody heading this way and somebody being used by God to help turn them going this way. Does that make sense? That's the picture there of repentance. But, but, but listen to what he says. He says he will turn, specifically, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, let me just tell you something. A Jewish person in this particular day and time hearing that would be so offended. You know why? Because they heard in Genesis around chapter 17, I believe, and all of their lifetime, their grandparents, their great-grandparents had taught them that because they were seed of Abraham, because they were children of Abraham, they were, in fact, right with God because they were God's chosen people. And now the angel is saying that John's ministry is going to be to the, some of it, to the children of Israel... And to turn the children of Israel to the Lord. Wait a minute, I thought, I thought they were God's chosen people. I I thought they were, they were just, they were just saved and they were taken care of. Oh, no, no. Uh, John's responsibility was going to be that he would preach to them a message that would lead their heart to repent or to turn away from where they were. Now, where were they? We're not talking about a physical location. We're talking about a spiritual location, both in thought, okay? And, and where we're occupied, you say, what in the world does all that mean? Well, a person in his day thought, I'm, I'm right with God because I'm, I'm born of the children of Israel. I'm, I'm the seed of Abraham. I can, I can do what I want to do and live what I want to live. I can kind of have this tradition. I can try to follow the law the best I can and, and everything will be fine. And, and God says, no, no, I'm sending the prophet, I'm sending John and the spirit of Elijah to say to you, no, 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 you're not right with me, that Jesus is your only hope of being right with me. And so he's going to turn, all right? Now, I've given you this picture before, this picture of turning. I'm going to read a little further along. He says, uh, back in verse 16, he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I thought they were with, no, 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 he's going to turn them to God. Uh, Verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn, there it is again, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient turn their hearts to what? The wisdom of the just. And all of that turning, all of that turning that John will be preaching will be for this purpose. You reading? To make ready, you all tracking with me? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All of this turning, so listen to what I'm telling you. The message of repentance is this there is a, you must repent in order to be saved. What is repentance? It's a turning. What's the turning? You and I born uh, kings of our own lives. Uh, I would say it this way, Lord of our own existence. If you don't believe it, I always tell you, take a little trip to the nursery and watch a child who will take a marshmallow and crush it so the other kid can't have it, huh? And just trying to get it. And they may have a marshmallow in their hand. and uh, And so it doesn't take much investigation to find out. We are not trained to be sinful. We are... Born sinful. And so because, but now here's the deal, just like the children of Israel, they thought their thinking, their mindset was we're right with God and, and because we're the children of Abraham, we're born with a thinking, yeah, I don't care. I don't have to be right with God, or maybe I'll be right with God if I go to church, or maybe I'll just be right with God if I try to do good. And we have all these ideas in our head. And until we repent, we turn from that, we understand that thinking is wrong, we'll never turn to true faith in Jesus. See, there's some of you in here, you think you're a pretty good old boy. You think because you give the shirt off your back, you'll help anybody and you'll do anything. And your, mi- your mindset is like the children of Israel. You said there's no way God would send me to hell because I'm a good person. And you are deceived. Yes. And you're on a highway stra- headed straight to lostness in a Christless eternity in a lake of fire. And today the message is Merry Christmas and repent, right? To turn, to have the Spirit of God and the Word of God change how you're thinking. And that was John's ministry. And so now he's preaching this in the wilderness and people are coming to him. And so understand the message of, of John's uh, baptism and, and what is necessary for salvation is repentance is necessary to salvation. Somebody said, you have to have prayed this prayer. And I say, no, you have to have repented. You have to have had your mind changed that you're not right with God by yourself. You have to have your mind changed that you're not okay and you're not enough. You have to have the spirit of God change your mind about where you are to see your sinful condition because we think pretty highly of ourselves without his help to ever understand that you need a savior. Why in the world would you say Merry Christmas unless you understood that he offers us repentance and faith that we could be made right with him through Jesus Christ? Oh, I'm gonna move forward. Number two in your notes there, okay? Write this in your notes there. Let me say this. We find out in verse number seven, and we're going to just kind of read down those verses that I'm skipping over is Isaiah's prophecy about John and about the fact that his ministry will be one to point out, uh, making crooked ways straight. In other words, these crooked ways of religion and living by the law, he's straightening it out to one way, Jesus, one straight, narrow path, Jesus, only Jesus. He's taking the, notice what he says about the mountains and bringing them low. That's humility. Uh, repentance requires humility. You'll never repent until God humbles your heart, right, and brings you down and shows you that he's God and you're not, and I'm not, okay? So listen to this statement. Number two, write this in your notes. According to verse number seven, judgment day is coming. I thought this was the Christmas season. We were talking about shepherds and angels, and this preacher's in here talking about repentance. Write this in your notes, okay? Judgment day is coming. Now, where I pick up in verse seven, where did I get that? Listen to what He says in verse number seven. Then he said to the multitudes, Who is he? John. He says to all the people who are coming out of the wilderness to hear this message, Here's what he says. You ready? ready? Can you imagine there's people coming from every which direction? There are big masses of people. And he greets them. Here's how he greets them. You ready? You sons of the devil. Now, some of y'all read and say, my Bible doesn't say that. It says brood of vipers. Yeah, it's because you don't understand and you're not Hebrew and you're not in this particular culture. In this culture, these Hebrew people, the children of Israel, knew that the serpent, anything related to the serpent, back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, the serpent refers to that old serpent of old. Uh, he is also called oftentimes Satan, Beelzebub, prince of the power of the air. And so anything refers to the viper or the serpent is relating to the devil. And here's what he says. He says, you're a brood of vipers. What is a brood? It's the offspring. So if you and I were smart and we knew the culture of the day, we knew that when they rolled up on Jesus based on what they knew and what they had heard, he just called them sons of the devil. Wouldn't you like to be part of that crowd? And we think we're hot, people are harsh, you know, and we get can you imagine how the offended culture we live in today if they ran up on Jesus? Huh? I mean, we get offended if somebody sits in our seat. We get offended if, oh, man, if somebody don't believe like we believe, or if they like mayonnaise in their butter beans. I can't believe people get offended by that. But I'm telling you, and here Jesus says, hey, welcome, sons of the devil. And then he goes on to, now, now listen, uh, understand that, and I catch a lot of flack when I say this, but it's true nonetheless. And that is that, and I look around this room, and look at all the hundreds and hundreds of faces in this room. And all those that are watching out there and who will be listening later on the podcast, listen to me. What I want you to know about that is, as I'm looking across here, there's, uh, there's, there's sons of God. That, here's how I say it. Not all of us are, are children of God. Now, people get offended by it. They say, Oh, I can't believe that preacher down in Florence said that we're not all sons of God. Well, I'm just quoting Jesus. So if you get mad, get mad at him. And here's what he said. 1 John 5, 19, listen to what it says. It says that we know that we are of God, those who have been born again. But the whole world lies under the sway or control of the wicked one. So if you've not been born again, you may think you're a good old boy, but the truth of the matter is you're under the control of the wicked one. So Jesus said, sons of the devil, let's go on. And he said, wait a minute, where's the, where's, the, where's the judgment day at? Well, let's read a little further along, okay? He says, uh, brood he says, of vipers, who warned you? You're reading with me? to flee, to run away from the wrath, come on, help me out, to come. What's he talking about? Judgment day. Did you know the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment in Hebrews chapter 9? So all of us were born once, and all of us will die once, unless the Lord Jesus returns. We'll die once, and when we die, the Scripture says, and then comes the judgment. There'll be a judgment. And it's interesting because we're always like, don't judge me. I don't want to judge my life. Listen, I'm begging you to judge me and help me, encourage me along the way so that I'll make sure and examine that I'm sure that I'm in the faith. Because when I get to that judgment, there's no more work to be done. There's no more decisions to be made. The decision is locked and loaded, and I'll be spending eternity based on how I'm judged. Now, I'll be judged innocent, or I'll be judged guilty. That's all. There's no partiality. There's no, well, you're not that guilty. You're kind of guilty. You're sort of guilty. No, no. They'll be innocent, and that group are those who have put their, repented of their sin, turned away from them, and turned to Jesus and began living their life under his control. Those will enter the kingdom of heaven. They'll be judged innocent. I can't wait. I can't wait to enter the kingdom of heaven. The other group, the other group, the other group will be judged simply Guilty and the word of god says he will say to that group depart from me i never knew you workers of inequity you never repented you never turned from your sin you never turned to me you kept doing what you wanted to do workers of inequity saying those that continue to do what you want to do all right now going back to the text so we know in fact judgment day is is coming Now here's what i want you to understand about that Uh, i love you enough to tell you that you'll be there by yourself and your wife won't be with you so stop making your decisions based on what she thinks and your husband won't be there, so stop making decisions based on what, what she thinks or he thinks. And your children won't be there, so stop leading them according to what they think. And your parents won't be there, so stop living your life according to what anybody else thinks. And your best friend, you know, that you hang out with and spend all your time with, they won't be there, so stop living your life trying to fit in with what they believe. You will in fact, and I will in fact, stand before the Master and be judged singularly, not based on what we have done, but based on what we did with Jesus, whether we repented and received or whether we did not. Y'all still with me? You having fun yet? It's truth. It's truth. And by the way, someone said to me, a guest came one time, said, man, I don't understand it. All these people come out here in the middle of nowhere, and I came expecting to hear you proclaim the, God, the prosperity gospel. And if we'll think positive, everything will be positive. And you preached on repentance. What in the world? And I said, what I have found is the people of God are drawn to the true word of God, All of it in its entirety. So not skip any. And by the way, why am I preaching chapter three? Because today it's in our reading. Well, we're reading those chapters. And today was chapter three. And the spirit pressed on my heart. Hey, your people are going to be reading that anyway. Preach from here. So uh, here we go. Roman numeral three. By the way, we're halfway. You believe that? You guys can taste lunch already, can't you? I never should have said lunch because I lost you right then. Number three, write this in your notes. No one can be right with God without repentance. You say, that's the same thing you said in point one, yeah, but a little different way, and he's going to drive it home. I'm telling you, he is. So, no one can be right with God without repentance. You said, well, what if I prayed a prayer? Well, if you didn't repent, you're not right with God. Well, what if I believe in my head and my heart that Jesus died for me and rose again? If you didn't repent and receive him, then you're, you're not right with God. You see, the word for believe in the New Testament is a pistuo. It's a Greek term. It has two parts. It's faith and belief that leads to action. What is the action? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Repentance repentance. All right, let's dive back in, all right? Roman number three, no one can be right with God without repentance. Now, we're going to look at three particular things in verses eight and nine. Here they are, okay? Write them in your notes. No one can be right with God without repentance. Number one, repentance will have evidence. Repentance will have evidence. This is different than an apology. An apology says, I'm sorry for what I did. Repentance says, I agree with you, God, that this is wrong. I confess it to you, and my mind has changed about it. I don't see it as right anymore, and I'm turning away from it. You see that? It's a big difference. I'm telling you, many of us in here are operating on apologies and have not truly understood what biblical repentance is, and it could be your salvation hinges on it. Your eternity hinges on it. All right? So here we go. Repentance We'll have evidence. Look in verse number eight the beginning. Therefore, so, so they, he says to them, brood of vipers, sons of the devil, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And so you're like, man, this guy's kind of coming out strong. But then he says, therefore, now based on that, based on that, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now remember, these are those who think because they are Jewish, they are saved. They're right with God. And to start out like a wrecking, but talk about a, a conversational train wreck. He doesn't say, hey, y'all, come on in. I'm glad to see you, sons of Abraham. I'm glad that y'all came today. I got some things I'd like to talk to you about. He just whams. Come on in here, brood of vipers. You're not right with God. You think you are, but you're not right with God. And he says, therefore, so what does he say in verse 8? So I'm glad you're not right with God. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say it's hopeless for you to be right with God. No, he doesn't say that. He says, therefore, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Even though you're sons of the devil, there's hope for you to be saved. By the way, can I tell you today there's hope for everyone? And here's what happens. It is accessed by repentance uh, through faith. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Notice he didn't say pray a prayer with me. He said express the fact that you're truly repentant. Let your life reflect it. Let the events of what you talk about, what you do, and how you treat people And let it all reflect the fact that you've really turned away from who you used to be. See, there are a lot of people, I'm telling you, a lot of people who believe they're saved and have never changed from the rascal they were before they prayed a prayer. And you're no more saved than a man on the moon. How can you say that so boldly, preacher? I'm preaching, thus saith the Lord. Repentance will have evidence okay let's read here's, here's what he says therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say listen to what he says and don't play that card don't play that card that your son's abraham you see him see how he's doing that wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation that day john is camel's camel hair and eating honey and locusts wild man you know what i'm saying and uh, i would like just kind of observing that from day. i wouldn't want to get too close you know but just from a distance. And he says, you don't, don't play that thing, that game in your head. You think you're sons of Abraham. He says, listen, for I say to you, well, I'm going to tell you what I have to say there next. First of all, repentance will have evidence, okay? Now, let me give you some more evidence of that. Luke 6, 43 to 45, write it in your notes, quickly. Write it in your notes. We've got to move on to the next thing. Luke 6, 43 to 45, Jesus speaking on the same issue. Here's what he says. Some of y'all turning there, I'd love to hear that. For a good tree, listen to what Jesus says. For a good tree does not bear, help me somebody, bad fruit. So a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. It would be the same as saying a lemon tree doesn't produce apples, right? He says, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every time, Uh, excuse me, every tree, listen to this, is known how? By its own fruit. Now listen to what Jesus is saying. Leave that up there for me just a second. Jesus is saying, listen, He said the tree is not saved by its fruit. Uh Uh-oh, you need to write that somewhere. He didn't say the tree is saved by its fruit. He said the tree is known by its fruit. I wonder today if we had a recording of your life over the last year, six months, two years, five years, if there's any evidence that you really repented and turned away from who you used to be. Think about it. You're not known by the fact that you came to church this morning. You're not known by the fact that you prayed a prayer somewhere. You're known because people can look at you and say, oh yeah, a lemon produces, a lemon tree produces lemons. And a Christian produces the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I say sometimes we are, if we're not careful, we are guilty of what I'm going to call ornamental Christianity. What I mean is you like take one of these Christmas trees, right? Can you imagine if we took one of these Christmas trees and I got Tina to go somewhere and get me a bunch of lemons with a hook and we hung lemons all over it. And from a distance, you might say, you might say, boy, look at that lemon tree up on the stage. I think I'd like to have me a lemon. What you better not do is pick you one and try to make you some lemonade. Because it just looks the part. It's not the part. What Jesus was saying about the tree is whatever's in the DNA of the tree is going to produce in the fruit. You follow with me? You can, you can fake it for a matter of time, but you can't fake it with him. I want you to understand today that repentance has evidence. That's what he said. If you have repented, then it is evident in how you talk and how you walk. And I'm talking to myself as well. For men, I'm going to read a little more of this passage. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Listen to what he says. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. Now it gets real specific. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What have you been talking about this week? Have you talked to people this week? How many times this week did the name Jesus roll off your tongue? And not I'm not talking about when you bash your hammer, finger with a hammer. I'm talking about when you wanted to tell somebody about the greatest news your ears have ever heard. Isn't it interesting? We get so wrapped up in our lives and what we want to do and how we want to do it. And we just go about doing it. And then in our mind, we're convinced that somewhere we've really truly repented. I want you to understand there's a bigger idea to this repentance than what you and I have been told. Anybody still with me this morning? I said we, now I didn't say you. All right, let me move on. So number one, under this group, we said repentance will have evidence. Number two, nothing but Jesus can make us right with God. Nothing but Jesus can make us right with God. All right, this is little number two under Roman number three. No one can be right with God without repentance. Here it is, verse eight, still in the end. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham, even how? Anybody out there? From these stones. Wasn't up there yet, was it? Uh Uh-huh. So we have, listen, let me go back to verse number eight. He says, don't say that we have Abraham as our father. Because I'm telling you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Listen to what he's saying. Let me kind of break it down and clarify this for you. Nothing but Jesus can make us right with God. The first group of people he's dealing with is those who claim because they were Jews, they were right with God. He said, your Jewishness is not enough to be right with God. Don't you say we're sons of Abraham. Your Jewishness is not enough to make you right with God. But, but in the second phrase, when he says God's able to make children of his from the stones, he's saying your Gentileness is not enough to keep you from being right with God. Some of y'all got that? Some of y'all are still thinking on it. Don't say because you're sons of Abraham, your Jewishness didn't make you saved. God can raise up his children from the, from the stones. You're, just because you're a Gentile doesn't mean you're going to be lost and separated from God. Jesus is the answer for both. So that's why I said nobody is right with God unless they repent and turn to Jesus. Jew and Gentile. Some of y'all, when I say Gentile, you look around, what in the world does that word mean? Very simply put, it's any nationality besides a Jew. Anybody besides the children of Israel. All right? So let me move on. Uh, Number two, we said nothing but Jesus can make us right with God. Number three, write this down. It's found in verse nine. No one will be saved except those who truly repent and receive Jesus. You said said that five different ways. I'm going to say about two more before we're done. Why would you do that? I'm just quoting straight from the Bible, verse by verse. I won't leave anything out. It's for your benefit and mine as well. Verse 9, no one will be saved except those who have truly repented and been born again. Listen to verse 9. Now, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. What's Jesus saying? The kingdom has come. Jesus is the kingdom of God, right? What is the kingdom? Anywhere the king has dominion. The kingdom has now come. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, listen close, is cut down and thrown into the fire no one will be saved except those who have truly repented and received Jesus and it will be expressed by the fruit of repentance in their life well it's almost too simple isn't it there's a portion of me that wish it was a little more confusing (laughs) a little more a little more gray than so black and white except except I know you and I need straightforward truth don't we and so what we find here is no one will be saved except those who have truly repented let me move on to number four can y'all believe we only have one more to this I hope you don't feel that way. Number four, I'll write this down. Verses 10 to 14. Repentance leads to drastic changes in our actions. You say, I've repented. I said, are you still doing that thing? No. Yes. Well, you haven't repented. You can say, you and I can say sometimes, I'm repentant. What does that mean? That means that my heart's broken about where I am. My mind's changed and I'm not, I've gone a different, I've asked God to help me go in a different direction. Okay. Now, let me show you. This is in verses 10 to 14. Now, remember the context. They're coming out to him and he's preaching a message of what? Repentance. So, y'all are telling me, based on what you've heard, uh, John the baptizer is not out there going, Hey, listen, everybody come close. Just pray this prayer after me and you'll be saved. Huh? No. He's saying you first have to repent, realize your condition is not right. Why would you repeat a prayer unless you realize you were lost and separated from God and see that there needs to be a change in who the Lord is of your life? So, he says to them, Now in verse 10, we're going to see the practical application. Okay, now there's going to be, uh, first he's going to talk about a group, and then two other groups are going to come and ask him a question. What are they asking? He keeps preaching to them repentance, turning away from how you are and who you are, and turning to Jesus. And they're they're like, okay, what does this look like for me? And he's going to tell them. Watch, read with me, beginning in verse 10. So the people ask him, saying, what should we do? In other words, what does repentance look like in my life? Maybe you'd write that down, and you'd begin to ask the Lord, what does repentance look like in my life? So they said, what is it like? And, and he answered them in verse number 11, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. What's he saying there? When you've repented, you're no longer greedy. When you've repented, when you've truly turned from you being Lord to Jesus being Lord, you don't worry about, you're not trying to stockpile as much stuff as you can have. You want to have your needs met, but then you want to help meet the needs of others. Okay? Now, I'm not through. Read on. And he goes on to say, uh, and, they, and they says, do likewise. Verse number 12. So then a group called the tax collectors. Now, are you familiar with the tax collectors in the New Testament? I'm not talking about the IRS. Some of y'all are thinking, oh, man, am I familiar. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about the tax collector of Jesus' day. Here's, what, here's who they were. Generally, they were Jewish by birth, children of Abraham. But they were, they were employed by the Roman government. And their responsibility was to receive the taxes in the particular areas where they live from their own countrymen. And how they made a living was they were appointed so much, but they also could charge extortionary rates. Y'all tracking with me? So if Rome required this much, the tax collector could require however much he wanted, and he could back it up with Roman support, and he could have as much as he wanted. Now think about, now you begin to see he's not only taking taxes for the people who are occupying his, his country and his people, oppressing his people, but he's also taking it for his own benefit. Now you start understanding why in the New Testament, tax collector is used for a great sinner. Uh-huh. You start understanding why that word is used so much, even tax collectors. And so the tax collectors come, and they hear this message. He's he's in the wilderness, and he's saying, you've got to repent. You're not right with God. You've got to turn. You, You by yourself are not. You can't just talk to God. You can't just have a... You've got to turn. And so the tax collectors, okay, what does it look like for us? Right? So so this is what he says. Uh, And the tax collectors in verse 12 said to him, Teacher, what what should we do? What does repentance look like in our life? Verse 13, he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. So you can't say you've repented and you still be the same guy. You can't say that you've repented and you still be the same girl. You can't still be sleeping around and you say you've repented of that. You can't say that you've repented and turned to the Lord if you're still controlled by alcohol. I'm telling you, listen, repentance means I've turned away from and turned to the living God some of us are under the delusion that we can still be mean and bitter and unloving and but because we prayed a prayer somewhere that we we really are convinced that we're saved and I won't want you to miss John's message that unless you repent and receive the Lord Jesus you're going to be lost and separated from God let me read a little further along okay so the teacher what shall we do says you collect no more than what is owed you likewise now there's a group of the soldiers And what you see is this repentance is really penetrating hearts. And each one is saying, okay, how does it apply to me? Tax collectors, right? Now the soldiers. Okay, listen to what they ask him. They say to him, hey, what should we do? And he says to them, don't intimidate anyone or... Accuse people falsely, in other words, if you've repented and turned from who you used to be, we used to bully people and and and, and uh, make up stories about people and take bribes, he said be content with your wages and take bribes, if you've repented and turned your life over to Jesus, that's not what your life is anymore. You don't do that anymore. Listen, if you've repented, then you're not gossiping anymore. If you've repented, then you're not mean-spirited anymore. You went, Is anybody in the room, my boy, I feel like I'm all by myself, Listen, I know I need a mirror here to be preaching to me, but I want y'all to at least get involved with me, okay? I want you to see that this idea of repentance is so much bigger than what we've really given thought to it. You know why? Because we really don't like to think about it. We just want to keep doing what we want to do. And that's the opposite of repentance. And yet John is driving home that without repentance, there's no salvation. So isn't it worth me and you today sitting down contemplating, considering what is it that he said and how does it apply to me? So the tax collectors, the soldiers. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do is, interestingly enough, as God was preparing my heart uh, that I was going to preach this chapter three of Luke, because we're in, it's in our reading pattern, I, I wanted to show something that I found. I found this just recently, and so they're going to put a picture up over here, and we're going to talk about what fake repentance looks like. Okay, is that up there? Yeah. I, I found this last week, as a matter of fact, I was like, boy, look at that. Isn't that it? So I want you to take a look. We're going to go through this, through this one at a time. So, so some of us feel like we've repented, but, but fake repentance, here's the qualities of fake repentance. Number one, there's, help me out, no change. I have lip service, but my life looks no different, right? And I'm, by the way, that kind of repentance is destroying the testimony of God's people in the world today. We go to work, we say, oh, I've repented, I'm born again, but we lived like every. we joke about the same things, we do the same things, and there's no defined difference in us and anybody else. So fake repentance is, help me out, no change. Number two, number two, there's no remorse. And if there is remorse, it's what I call worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry I got caught, now i got these consequences, you know, I had an affair, and now I'm, I'm losing my wife and children. I'm sad about that, or or I broke the law, and I'm going. You know, and I'm sorry. Now I got to pay the. I got to pay the piper. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is when a person like me or you comes to the conclusion that what we've done was against the plans and ways of God, who loved us so much that He gave His Son for us, and we've 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 ta- we've took His name in the mud. We've 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 done things that didn't glorify Him. We've given the enemy opportunity to 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 tarnish His, blaspheme His name, and our heart is crushed and broken because our Daddy, who loves us so much, we've dishonored Him by how we've lived. Do you see the difference? So fake repentance, there's no remorse. And if there is, it's only worldly sorrow. Number three, justifying your error. You ever done that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. I'm not, but I did it because that's not true repentance. True repentance doesn't have a but or because after the confession. Is anybody out there? true repentance okay and by the way repentance is toward god for salvation but we also can be repentant towards each other when we sin against each other and by the way you know we do that how many of you know we sin against each other it's part of the journey and it's part of our process of being shaped more like jesus and how we deal with it in our own life and the lives of people against us okay so listen next thing justifying our error. how about this one repeating your error man my heart is so broken and torn about it but i'm gonna do it again this weekend or if you make me mad, I'm gonna blow up like a time bomb again. I'm not talking about you go a long time and it happens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a pattern, right? An unbroken pattern. How about this one? How about number five? Looking for others, to, uh-oh, to side with you in your error. I can remember when I was younger, I'd do something maybe to my little sister, and I'd try to get my two big sisters over, and I said, hey, "Listen, this is what happened, and when mom and dad find out, this is why, huh?" Now, you know I was right for doing that. You know how you do? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I guess I may be the only one in the room that's ever done that. You try to get them on your team. And uh, what I say is in the house of God, I'm going to tell you how, how grievous that is to God. When the people of God try to get somebody on your team when it's sinful, the action that you and I are doing. That we call somebody over to the side and say, hey, now look, I know what you might have heard, but let me just tell you, this is this is this. And we justify, and we try to get somebody on our team. Listen, listen to when I, when I say this to you. That is not the work of God. That is the work of the enemy. So you don't need a team. By the way, who would want a team to prop you up in a sinful lifestyle? Doesn't make sense, does it? True repentance doesn't build a team. True repentance goes before God solo. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you don't have to come to the preacher? I'm. Listen, let me just tell you, there's so many of us, I'm so thankful unto God that the way God designed it is you don't have to come confess to me that I confess for you. Hallelujah. It's a one-to-one relationship through the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And you can just go to God. The same, by the way, you realize I repent as well, and so I don't need to be repentant for you. i got to repent for me. you got to repent for you. So there's this this one-on-one. I don't go build a team to support what I've done or to convince people to be on my team, I confess before God I'm broken. I was the one who was wrong. And I confess it before God. That's repentance. This is fake repentance. One more thing, and I'm going to move on. Number six in this. Listen, this is not exhaustive. We could go on and on. But I thought this was good, and I wanted to share it. Blaming the one you hurt. You ever you ever, you ever, had somebody hurt you, and then they blamed you for it? Now, isn't that a painful thing? That's not repentance. Listen, the reason I did it is because you right? You did this, and you did that, or you, you did this. I'm telling you, listen, there's no blame in, in true repentance. But now let me flip the coin and say, have you ever blamed somebody that you hurt? Some point in our life, we probably all have. That's fake repentance. True repentance is on the contrary. Let me close. Could I do that? Number five, y'all are like, please close. Because this message is all up in my, I came for a Merry Christmas message, you know. I came today, it's holiday season, I don't get out much, and it's, I'm feeling kind of Christmas spirit, and I came to church, and the doggone preacher got right in my grill with the message. Uh, but, but what I have to realize, it was in his grill too, so really it was God who got all up in our mail, amen, and began reading our letters and, and showing us where we really are. But listen, it's because he loves us. It's because he doesn't want us to perish. It's because he doesn't want us to just keep clicking along like status quo. He wants a people who are his own special people set apart for his praise and glory. And the way to get there is repentance. Repentance. All right, let me close. Number five, 15 to 17. Now, by the way, let me before I read these verses, <clears throat> you might be reading through here and you're thinking, you know what? The hero of the story is John because he's preaching, thus saith the Lord. He ain't the hero of the story. You might be saying in your mind, who's the hero? Who are the ones we're supposed to, who's the ones we celebrate in the story? Is the ones who who truly repent? Are they the heroes of the story? Heavens, no. The hero of the story is what makes me say Merry Christmas. And I love to say Merry Christmas. You know why? Because I'm able to repent and find faith in Jesus and be forgiven of my sin. That's why I like to say Merry Christmas. I don't say Happy Holidays. I say Merry Christmas. Amen. And I like to say it in August sometimes, just see what people do. Because... Jesus is the hero of the story. Let's read, okay? Verse 15, where did I get that? Well, all of this talk about repentance has got to lead somewhere. Because if I only repent, and that's the end of the story, it's an empty story. But I repent, and then I receive the one who can forgive my sin. Let me show you verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Now, you see what they're doing? They're talking amongst each other. You think he's the Christ? I don't know. Is he the one that God promised, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who came to save people? Is he, is he the guy? Is he the one? And, and listen to what it says. They're not talking about it together. It says they reason in their heart. You see that? And John responds to the question in their heart. How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, John answered to all of them. And what did he say? I indeed baptize you with you guys think I'm the Messiah? Let me let me clarify. Y'all think I'm the hero of the story? Let me set this story straight. He said, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I. He started, boy, he's getting primed up, isn't he? One mightier than I is coming. And by the way, you think I'm him. Let me just tell you about me compared to him. I'm not worthy to loosen his sandals. And by the way, sandals in that day were nasty. He said, I'm not even worthy to put my hands on his shoes, on his sandals, to undo them for him. I'm not even worthy. You guys think I'm him. I'm not even close to him. What's he saying? The hero of all this is not your ability to repent. The hero of all this is that you can repent and be saved by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says here. He says in verse 16, "One mightier than I, who sandal, I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. thanks be to God, I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and the fire of God has been placed in me, burning away impurities, still burning away impurities. That's what happens when you repent and are born again. Verse 17, his winnowing fan. Now, don't y'all all have one of those? Somebody read that and said, what in the world is that talking about? It's a tool in which is used to separate the wheat from the outer husk that's called the shaft. It's tossed up and down, and a beating process of that separates the chaff from the valuable wheat. The chaff then the winnowing fan blows away the chaff, uh, right? And then whatever's called up and left is used. Well, let's let's just look at it. His winnowing fan is in his hand. Who? Jesus. He's the determining factor of what's he going to say next. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly—I hope you'll listen to this. I know it's the fourth quarter. I know you're getting tired. Hang in there. It's the greatest thing you're going to hear today. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor— And gather the wheat into his barn. You know what he's talking about right there? Heaven. He's talking about there's coming a day in the future where Jesus is the determining factor and a certain group of people who truly repented and received Jesus are going to go in like like valuable wheat gathered up in a barn. We'll be gathered up in the kingdom of heaven. By the way, I can't wait. One day, my back won't hurt anymore. Somebody say amen. Amen. One day, there'll be no chemotherapy. I won't have to watch people wither away. No more will I have to preach funerals and watch families grieve and grieve the losses of my own loved ones. One of these days, I'll be in a place where I never have to wrestle with my own sinful nature ever again because of repentance that lead to faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's gathering a certain group, but Jesus is the determining factor. Not how good you are, not how good you do, not whether you go to church. Jesus. What you have done if you've repented and received Jesus. Now let me let me conclude. He says, but on the opposite of that, he'll gather his wheat into the barns, but the chaff, and this is a tremendous contrast, his chaff will be burned, will burn with why in the world did did, did did John choose by the Holy Spirit this word unquenchable fire? Because hell's fire never burns cold. Listen to me. You may hate the idea of hell. And it really, God didn't really ask me and you to what we decide about his place of punishment. We didn't, you know, he, didn't, he didn't get us together and say, hey, I want to ask man what he thinks about this. And thank God he didn't because our opinions are very skewed. But here's what he says. He says, those who will re- repent and turn away from themselves and turn to Jesus will be made right and be gathered like wheat in the barn. But those who reject it, those who reject it will be cast into a fire that's never quenched. You know what that means? Like fire eventually consumes what it's burning and it goes away, but not the fire of hell that burns forever. The soul just burns forever and evermore in a place of outer darkness. Now I didn't come today to try to present hell to you to get you to convince that you need to trust Jesus. Instead, I wanted instead to tell you that the goodness of God allows repentance. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And boy, what a price he paid so that you and I could be forgiven. <clears throat> there's a verse on the overhead. We're going to close right here. Watch it. Acts chapter three, verse 19. I want us to read it together. Okay. Now don't put your stuff up. Don't be zipping and moving around and distracting everybody around you. S- sit up straight and lean up. Do what you need to, do to Get your back right. Okay. Now I want you to read this because the word of God is so powerful. I want you to read this. Just read it in your chair. Just you, you know, just you on judgment day, just you, not you and your wife, not you and your husband, not you and your kids, not you and mom and dad, not you and your best friend. Just you on judgment day. Just you. So I just want you to read it. Just you read it right there. Just you listen for what the Spirit might say to you. Just read it right where you are. Notice what he says. Repent. That's when the Holy Spirit shows us where we are is not right. Changes our mind about it. And we turn from it and turn to him. What comes with it? Conversion. What does that mean? I'm converted from an enemy of God. Come on, somebody. To a child of God. That comes through repentance and faith in Jesus. Converted. You walk out on the same sidewalk you walked in on, separated from God, being his child. That your, if you'll repent, that your, read with me, that your sins may be blotted out. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever committed a sin? Does anybody, here do you know what sin is? It's missing the mark of God's perfection. You thought it was just the commandments that you broke, didn't you? It's any, the word is an archer term in the New Testament Paul used. It's missing the mark of God's perfection. So, so literally everything we say and do is less than God's perfection. The list is longer than you thought. So I want you to think about for a minute, those who repent, turn away from that, turn to Jesus. They're converted from an enemy to a child and their sins, help me somebody, are blotted out. You know what that means? That means there's no evidence of them anymore. That means that it's not on a contingency plan. That means it's not sealed in a court case somewhere that if you mess up again, he's going to bring up the past. The word for that, blotted out means they're erased like it never happened. Repentance leads to conversion. And conversion is a place of being justified before God like I've never committed a sin. And you know what else comes with that? One more thing I want to close. So that Come on, somebody. Times of refreshing may come, right, from shopping. Might come from eating. Might come from drinking. Might come from sleeping around. Might come from, what does he say? Might come from, you'll never be refreshed like you can be refreshed when the presence of God is with you. How's that happen? Repentance. Repentance. Turning away from me and turning unto him. So here we go. Heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Just a moment. I want you just to consider where you fit in what was said today. I wonder if there's a brother or sister who may just slip out of your chair and come down to the altar and just begin to pray. We need a team of prayer warriors that just pray for lost souls for a minute. Because the human will is a strong thing turn, but God can. And He does it a lot of times through the prayers of His people. So would you just come and pray? Just help me for a minute by praying, asking the Lord to turn hearts. We could pray some simple prayer like this. God, we bow before you now and we ask you to grant repentance. We can't do it on our own. We're hard-headed, we're strong-willed and We're very prideful. And so Holy Spirit, we need your help right now to bring us to the place of repentance. So pray that with me. Now maybe you're here this morning and you've never repented unto salvation. You may have prayed a prayer back there, but there was never any change. You may have never prayed anything. You may have just thought, you know, because you were in the South and you believed that Jesus was, that you were good to go. And today, God's made crystal clear it's time for you to lay down the throne of your life before the king and invite Jesus to come and be Lord. You know, if you'll believe that Jesus left the throne of heaven, he died for you on the cross of Calvary, and that he rose from the dead, you'll believe it in such a way, Pastuó faith, faith that leads to action. You'll believe it in such a way that you'll repent, which means turn from you being the boss and receive Jesus as Lord so much more than boss. He'll save you. Listen to me when I say this. Listen, to, doesn't this sound sweet to somebody's soul? He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you purpose for living. He'll gift you with his Holy Spirit. All oh, the list of goodness is, the benefits are on and on. You don't have to come hold my hand to do that. You could invite Jesus to be Lord of your life right where you're seated. You could do it out there, driving down the road, in the captain's room, in the nursing station, and in, in, in the, in the uh, ICU, wherever you find yourself, even in another nation. You know right now where you are, you could receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You must repent. In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and share that with us so that we can celebrate with you. But here's a question I'd like to ask the group. You might be here, and you say, well, I've done that, and so this message went for me. Oh, no. Is repentance still important for the life of the believer? Oh, yes, it is. As a matter of fact, a believer ought to live in a constant state of a repentant heart. And so maybe it is here today that you've sinned against God, and you've been living in a place of sin, and you know it, and God knows it, and it's not for me to know or anybody else to know, but today it is right for you to turn away from it. Talk to the Lord and say, God, you've changed my mind. I can't keep going in this sin that I'm living in. And you and him, y'all deal with it. He's a loving father. He never changed his mind about you. And maybe there's somebody you've sinned against. And you need to be repentant towards God first, but then the person. You need to go to him and say, listen, I've changed my mind about what I said and what I did. I realize I was wrong. You're talking about revival breaking out in your life and in your family. If you'd let the Holy Spirit lead you to that place of repentance and humility. Father, I thank you this morning for the Wonderful, simple, profound, but difficult truth of repentance. God, thank you that you've reminded us today that repentance is necessary for salvation. Lord, thank you for the hope that everybody in this room has, every person around the whole wide world has, that anyone who repents and receives Jesus shall be saved. So, Father, would you do a work of grace in my heart and the hearts of every person? Do a work of grace, save and mend and heal. And Father, may you be glorified in it all. We ask it in Jesus' name.